Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Sports Garden Network Podcast. Your source for sports entertainment. Incredible sports wagering intelligence. Welcome, sports fans. This is Wagering Week. I'm Tom Barton. That's right. We are Wagering Week. Facebook and Twitter, that is how you get in touch with us. It is SportsGun, G-A-R-T-E-N, hashtag S-G-N, 855, the number 4, G-A-R-T-E-N, iTunes, iHeartRadio, any of our fine syndicated affiliates. That is where you can hear us. Make sure you listen to our show every single weekend. Want to bet? Weekend edition heard in over 100 places across America. Yeah, we're very proud of that. Want you guys to jump on board and listen to that as well. We have a huge show today. We are not only talking about the NBA Finals, but the Stanley Cup Finals are on the horizon, so we're going to preview that. We're going to get into Game 6 in the NBA Finals. We're going to get into a little baseball as well, so lots to cover today. The first thing I do want to start off with is the Stanley Cup Finals. Look, it is out there. Here it goes. We're ready to get down to it. And the Stanley Cup Finals, we've had a long time, it seems, between the time that not only we uh, sat back and we're sitting here and we're going, not only do we have a long time uh, between games itself, a really long time since we've seen the avalanche on the ice. It has been 10 days or will be 10 days. That is massive. So Colorado sweeping Edmonton, well, that, that's really good. That's fantastic. You got to like that for Colorado that you got the sweep and you got out of there quickly. But because the other series went so long, we're talking about 10 days. That can be really the story of game one here. So we'll get into the series and we'll get into game one. But I want to put that out there that for me, that is my trepidation about Game 1. So, we'll start it off. We'll take a look at the odds here. And overall, depending on where you're looking, Colorado has about a 190 favorite tag on them. 185 you could get in some places. If you like the Lightning, you're getting back plus 160, 165 or so. The Lightning are going for their third straight Stanley Cup win. They'll be the first team to do that since the Islanders won four in a row back in the early 80s. Steve Stamkos is the leader here. It's about Braden Point coming back, who Braden Point, uh, John Cooper did announce, Braden Point will return at some point during this series. Just not sure about game one. But at the end of the day, I think it kind of all revolves around Vasilevsky. And this is to take nothing away from the rest of the team. It's all about Vasilevsky because of the pure dominance that he has shown and that he can show. Vasilevsky is that guy right now that is just really, really ups his game, and he really is is just the best goalie that we've seen uh, for a very long time. I don't even want to put a name on it, a number on it. We're just saying a very long time. He's cementing his legacy as one of the greatest goalies of all time. 
That's what we're looking at with Andre Vasilevsky. Vasilevsky is a guy that you go in and you have to just always account for no matter what because I can give you all kinds of analysis here, and I will. I'm going to give you analysis. We're going to break it down. We're going to talk about it. And at the end of the day, on the other side, you go, yeah, but Vasilevsky. I mean, that that really has to be your pinpoint notion. Vasilevsky has led up three goals in his last three games in the playoffs. You look at Vasilevsky, you go, wow. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal. He's led up eight goals in the last seven games at home. He just ups his game to a point where it's absolutely just mind-boggling, and it's intimidating for the other team. That other team, the Colorado Avalanche. They're going to bring their offense, right? I mean, this is what you're looking at. But their goalie situation, I think, is something to be concerned about. Now, everything seems all right in Colorado. They defeated the Nashville Predators 4-0. They defeated the St. Louis Blues 4-2. They defeated Edmonton 4-0. Their scoring was off the charts. They were just, they could come at you many different ways, and it's their scoring, their scoring, their scoring. But now we have a little problem in goal. Or do we? I mean, look, I think anytime you have two goalies, you don't have one goalie. It's the same thing with quarterbacks. We hear that. If you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one quarterback. Darcy Kemper is the guy that kind of got them here. Pavel Francois has been absolutely on fire. And I don't know who Jared Bednar is going to pick to move on here. I don't know who he's going to pick to start game one. And really, who's he going to pick to ride? You can't be flip-flopping goalies all the time, not in a Stanley Cup matchup. Now, Francois has been really, really good. Okay, and to me, you almost have to start start him. Their old adage is in the Stanley Cup, you cannot get account for just a hot goalie, and he's red hot. Even if he was the backup, he's red hot. He's the guy that I think should start, and I think will start in Game One, and probably most of what we're looking at during the course of the season series here. Kemper suffered uh, that upper body injury in game one of the Western Conference Finals against Edmonton, and that's when Francois took over. He was good. He wasn't great. He was good, but he won. Now, Kemper came back in game four. He looked good. He said, I was 100% healthy. Okay, well, okay, here we go. And then, uh, you know, you look at him and you go, well, who do you like? Kemper has a 6-2-0 record with an 897 save percentage. 2.65 goals against. Francois is unbeaten. 6-0 record, better save percentage, 9.06, and 2.86 goals against. Now, you can argue that the goals against, well, that's that's different, but he was clearly up against better offensive team uh, than, than Kemper was. I, I mean, you know, going up against Edmonton and McDavid, they were, that was just a better offensive team. But you can't get over the zero, and Francois has not lost yet. Has not lost yet. And I keep saying, Francois, you could tell me that, well, it's the team, Tom. I get it. But we do have a little bit of controversy. We do. It's been 10 days. So there's a lot of time to sit back and think about this. There's a lot of time to sit back and have a downtime for a goalie. There's a long time to sit back and go, well, we're not really riding the hot hand now because it's been 10 days. So that's it. Do does Bednar go with Kemper because he had a great regular season because he was the guy because you know look you don't lose your job because of an injury is that and look he was very good in the playoffs also you got about a lower goals against is that what what we're looking at or is it Francois who has been six and zero is it Francois who has looked fantastic 
no matter what the move is, it's going to be questioned. But from a betting perspective, I think we really almost have to sit back and see what the decision is. Tampa Bay is not a team that's going to come after you with all kinds of offense. Tampa Bay is not a, a kind of team that wants to play that up style, that fast pace. They're just not that team. The Avalanche are. They're fast. They're deep. They really want to come after you, and they want to pep you with shots. But if you're a Colorado fan or a Colorado backer, you're asking yourself, as good as Francois has been, I mean, is he going to hold a candle <laughs> to Vasilevsky? And the answer is simply no. You also have the idea that this is the best goalie in Vasilevsky. Absolutely the best goalie that you look at that they have taken on. Smith might be running out of town in Edmonton. Nashville goalie, I mean, come on. And, you know, St. Louis, I know they had a hot goalie, but really he was a backup as well. So you have a Colorado team that's fast. They want to pepper you with a bunch of shots, but it's Vasilevsky in goal. Will that get this team, I guess, frustrated if you're hitting Vasilevsky shot after shot and can't get it in? And how long can their goalies hold true? How long can either one of them, whoever it might be, be able to face off one-on-one against Vasilevsky? You always hear in sports, and you hear starting pitcher against starting pitcher. Yet they never face each other, right? I mean, Clayton Kershaw never faced Bumgarner in those those matchups. If we have this year, you know, you have Garrett Cole against, uh, you know, Adam Wainwright or whoever it might be. It, it doesn't matter. They don't face each other, but it is you against him. You know you got to be perfect or you have to be damn well close to perfect because of who you're going up against. In the NFL, same thing. And Tom Brady faces Peyton Manning or Tom Brady faces Aaron Rodgers, it's not ever going to be both of them on the field at the same time. But you know, hey, look, I got to have a certain expectation. And there's a certain pressure point because you know who you're going up against. And you know who you're going to be leveled up against. Well, in this case, it's goalie against goalie. And you're going up against Vasilevsky. Everybody on the planet is looking up at Vasilevsky. If a backup goalie or a guy that's coming off an injury and maybe a goalie uh, flip-flop situation, I think it's terrible. I think, you you know, basically to me, Bednar has to announce who the goalie's going to be for the series. Now, he could change his mind. Right? I mean, he can change his mind, but give them the confidence. Look, this is who we're staying with for the series. I don't think flip-flopping is going to help anybody on this Avalanche team, and it is a concern of mine with a minus-190 favorite. Colorado, though, look, they are explosive. Uh, I mean, you look at <laughs> Cal McCarr, 22 points in 14 games. McKinnon, 18 points. Langston, 17 points. It, it's just a barrage of offense that comes after you but they can play defense as well. Um, I will say that Kadri being out, that might help them as well. But here's the absence that, you know, you're able to do a lot of practicing. You're able to get back here. You look at what they're doing and you are looking at who do you stop, right? Who do you stop? The obvious question is, are you going to, you know, double McKinnon, really put the clamps down on him, which we've watched the Lightning be able to do. They have that defense that they can do that. Do you do it on McKinnon and now then you leave uh, Cal McCarr wide open, basically? Right? I mean, he's a defenseman, but do you do that? Do you let him be the guy to beat you? It, it's an interesting kind of situation when you're sitting back and you're you're putting down a game plan and a game plan together that they've had a long time to get this game plan together. But all, all in all, I think if you're the Avalanche, it all comes down to Vasilevsky. You've got to not only shoot on Vasilevsky all day long, but you really got to almost blind him. You have to stand in front of him. You have to get those rebounds. That's the way 
to do it. You've got to re really be able to almost blind Vasilevsky to get those shots. Now, we do know the high waffle, okay, has been his Achilles heel. The Rangers took advantage of it. If you look at all the goals he's given up, he hasn't given up a five-hole goal yet in the postseason, right? If you look at all the goals he's given up, it's the high blocker, the high waffle, whatever you want to call it. That's where Vasilevsky can be beat. Oftentimes, that angle... And that, what you're shooting on, a high waffle, a high blocker, and that bad shot is usually because he's being blinded, someone's in front of him, and there's a lot of commotion in front of the goal, or it's a bounce back. So that's something they have to do. But look, it's not that easy, is it? Because the Lightning defensively is a fantastic team as well. They're not just a good goalie team. Look, getting there is a problem. Getting there is a real issue. The Tampa Bay Lightning, on the other side, look, it... it I said it's all about Vasilevsky. We could go over the numbers. 9 point th uh, 939 save percentage, 1.81 goals against average. At 5-on-5 five five in 10 games, he's just been uh, amazing. His 955 save percentage over the last four games, he's been just ridiculous. Vasilevsky has 13 career series-clinching wins. He has stopped 219 of 221 shots and has passed eight series-clinching wins. I, the guy is legendary at this point. He's legendary. We know that this team has grit. John Cooper, I've made the argument, not only is he hands down the best coach in hockey, he's one of the top three, four, maybe five coaches in all of sports. I've said top three. I'll go with top five if that makes you feel better. They do have aging stars, but with that age comes experience. Stamkos had 15 points. Kucherov, 23. Hedman, 14. Right? I mean, the playoffs have been really good. Kucherov, somebody that steps up, and he looks like he did last year. I mean, this is what you're talking about. This is a team that the reason why they have two rings is because you can't really pigeonhole into them, into anything. The Lightning, you tell them we're going to play a one nothing game where every goal is, you know, one nothing or 2-1. They're perfectly fine. You go, hey, look, we got to get into a, shot, a shootout. They go, okay, we can do that. Right? I mean, we, we can get into those kind of shootouts. That's what's scary about this team. Now, they did just take on the number two defense in the league in the Rangers. And you look at how they cracked that code late. And the look, a guy that in Igor is the number two goalie overall on the planet. And he might win MVP. And he'll probably win goalie of the year. They were able to beat him by peppering with, with shots. But they were able to beat him with really just putting the pressure on the Rangers. I know that a lot of people are going to say, well, the Rangers don't have the offense. No, they absolutely don't. But that is something that you look at and you go, well, the Lightning changed their styles. They were able to change their style against Florida, who likes to you know run up the score and get big scoring. And they changed their style from Florida. And then they changed their style against the Rangers. So you start to look at who will the Lightning be in this series. I can tell you I made a lot of money betting the unders in the Rangers series. Game one went over. It was a 6-2 Ranger win. The Rangers did put in six goals in that first game. After that, that was it. That was the that was it. I went under after every single game after that. Under five and a half, 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 under five and a half. And I hit every single game. Every single game. And the books couldn't adjust that. They couldn't lower it to five. So they were making me pay 135, 140 on a five and a half. And I didn't care because it's Vasilevsky against Igor. It, it was Tampa Bay saying, okay, you guys want to play defense? We could go with that defensive style. We can change our style and get into a defensive mindset. And that's what they did against the Panthers. Meanwhile, by the way, big scoring, big shootouts. That's what you had. 
The Avalanche are all about scoring against Edmonton and whatnot, but they also say, hey, you know, we got a pretty good defense as well. So when you're looking at the totals here, I started to go, I wonder what kind of totals they're going to give us so we can look at this and maybe make a couple of bucks. Well, the opening line total for game one is six. I'm looking at the advanced lines, and I see pretty much sixes across the board. I think that there might be some value in the over, but I want to watch game one. I think that there might be some value in the overs because of how fast and how quick the Avalanche play. I think they're going to force this Lightning team to go out there and score four goals. You want to win this game, you got to score four goals. And if you're sitting back and you're going, okay, we have to... To win a game, we have to score four goals. Puts a little pressure on you. And as good as Vasilevsky's been, I do think we're going to see some overs here and some overluck. Now, again, I'm laying off of game one. And in game one, it's going to kind of tell me everything. Game one's going to tell me everything because of how the layoff for Colorado was. But here's the thing. You're going to have to watch that game to tell you everything. It doesn't mean that if Colorado loses, I'm off of the, the avalanche for the series because maybe it was just a layoff. Maybe they get better by the third uh, period. Maybe. We have to watch how the game kind of progresses and how it plays out. Maybe they hit the ground running, and I go, uh-oh, man, you know, this is going to be the end of Tampa. You don't know where that's going to go until you watch that game. I will say this. For futures plays, and I hardly ever give this advice out, for futures plays, I'm watching game one. Whether you like the Avalanche or Tampa Bay, I'm watching game one, and I'm not doing anything, and I'll tell you why. Let's just call it Avalanche minus 190 and Tampa Bay's getting back 160, right? Just for the argument's sake. I know it might be 155, 165, whatever. 190, 160. If you like Colorado and they go out there and they lose game one, you can chalk that up to the layoff. All right, okay, look, they had 10 days to kind of sit back and relax and, and wait about this. The Colorado Avalanche are going to be minus 190 and then they lose game one. It's going to go down. You're going to, have to get a value at about minus 140 or so, maybe. Minus 130, maybe. So you're going to get that value on Colorado if they lose game one. If they go out and they win game one, well, it's only only going to go up to about 240. And now you only got to win three of the next six games. So you're in a better position. You're not really sitting there and, and losing so much value. It's not going to go up to three to one. It's not going to happen. If you like Tampa Bay, wait for game one for sure. You're getting plus 160 before the series begins. Well, that that's a nice, hefty price. That's a tough price to turn around. But if they win game one, you're still going to get plus money back. It's still going to be plus 110, 120. On the advanced line, I see 120. I think it'll be closer to 110. And if they do go out there and win that game, if they do go out there and they lose that game, well, you're going to be able to get, you're getting 160 back. You'll get two to one back. Easy. So, I'm in a position here where my official prediction is going to be different than my betting prediction. My, if you're asking me about this series, I think it's a 51-49 shot that the Avalanche win. I think that the Avalanche have everything working for them. I think that they have a better offense. But on the other side of this is, is everything that we know that Tampa is. I think in a coin flip situation, from a sports analyst perspective— I think I have to say Colorado in Game 7, Colorado in seven games and a tight game, you know, like a 3-2 win. That That's how close I think the series will be. But this isn't about purely sports talk analysts. This is about sports betting. And in sports betting, if I think something's 50-50 or damn well near it at 51-49, and I think it's going to go to a Game 7, and I have an opportunity to get the best head coach uh, in hockey by far, and I have the opportunity to get a generational talent and goal in Vasilevsky. And I have an opportunity to get a team going for a three-peat, going for history. And I have a, an experienced team. And you're giving me plus 160 in return? 
You have to take the Lightning here. I can't see any situation where I'm taking the Avalanche. And again, I think the Avalanche probably win the series. But plus 160 is too tempting for me. And I'll tell you one more. Going into that Game 7, even if it's in Colorado, is anybody betting against Vasilevsky in a closeout game in his career? Is anyone betting against Vasilevsky in a Game 7 if it gets there? So what you're asking the Avalanche to do is either close this series out in Tampa Bay in a Game 6, win a Game 7 against Vasilevsky, or close this out and make short work of Tampa Bay and get this done in 4 or 5. I mean, that's what you're asking Colorado to do. I'm not laying 190 and asking them to do that. They can very well win this series. And as a matter of fact, they should be 190 favorites. I'm not arguing that. They very well can win this series in four or five games. I don't think a sweep, but in five games, they could win this series. They could win it in six. They could go on the road. They could go on the road and beat Tampa. They're not infallible there. But I think as the series starts to go on, you start to ask yourself that question. Do you want to bet against Vasilevsky at home in a closeout game six? You go home. I don't. Do you want to bet? And would you lay 190 to do it? Do you want to bet against Vasilevsky laying 190 in a game seven closeout, even if it's in Colorado? That's what you're doing when you're laying 190. So I think it's impossible. Even though if you like Colorado, I think that the number is impossibly high to take Colorado. To me, you have one option here, and that's take Tampa. I'm probably going to lay off until after game one, like I told you guys my strategy. But if I'm handed money right now, there's 0% chance I'm taking Colorado. I think it's priced out of the market. I'll take my shot at Tampa. They may lose, but I'm getting Vasilevsky, and I'm not laying 190 in those spots. All right, let's take a quick timeout. Come on back. When we do, we're going to talk a little bit about the NBA and the NBA Finals Game 6 on tap right after this on Wagering Week. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to Wagering Week with Tom Barton. I'll bet you 20 bucks I can get to gambling before the end of the day. No way. I'll give you three to one odds. You're on. What are the odds? Okay, guys, what are the odds? I am holding in my hand the Stanley Cup Final Series Correct Score Odds, which means the exact series odds, what you think they'll win by and how many games. So if the Tampa Bay Lightning win four games to zero, you're getting plus $2,000 back on your money, on your $100. How about Tampa Bay Lightning win four games to one, seven to one back on your money. Four games to two is six to one back, and four games to three is six to one back as well. Well, if the Avalanche win four games to zero, you're only getting eight to one back on your money there. Four games to one, four to one, four games to two, four to one, four games to three, four to one. And that is what are the odds? I mean, look, you know, you start to look at this and I don't like sweeps either way. I certainly don't like the Avalanche at eight to one. You're only getting eight to one, only eight to one in a sweep. 
I don't like that at all. And you can see, I mean, 20 to 1 for the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's intriguing. People will jump on that. I'm I'm not going in on that. Four games to one, seven to one for the Lightning. I don't think that they get that done. And four to one for the Avalanche. Maybe, but you're only getting four to one back. I, I don't love that either. Four games to two, which is a lot what a lot of people are thinking. That means that the Avalanche have to win in Tampa. You're only getting four to one on your money back there. Four to two uh, for Tampa Bay, six to one. That's not bad. And then game seven, six to zero. Uh, I mean, six to one odds there, and four to three is a four to one for the Avalanche. I don't love it. I I don't love it. I mean, if you like game seven, if you think it's going to go seven like I do, <laughs> take them both if you want to do that. Uh, but I I tend to think that there's not a lot of value here on this. Perhaps a game six. Four to two lightning, thinking that they're going to be at home at six to one, maybe. But there's not a lot of value here for me to go jumping on that. I I, I don't love it. I don't love it. Again, I'm very iffy about the series. I think it's going to go seven. I think I like it to go seven. It makes sense that it goes seven, but I don't know if I'm going to go betting on that. That doesn't that doesn't jump off the page for me. All right, let's get into a little NBA game six here. The Celtics opened up. Celtics opened up as a three and a half point favorite. It's three and a half or four across the board, depending on where you're looking right now. And this is what it should be. I mean, the Celtics should be three and a half or four point favorites, but it has not mattered this series. It has not mattered since 2011. And I keep repeating the number and I'll keep repeating it here. Now, since 2011, when the NBA finals has a line of six or less, the spread has not mattered, which means Either the favorite wins covers without a problem or the underdog wins outright. It is now 66 times since 2011 in a row in the NBA Finals. So the close game just hasn't happened in these spots. It could be a close game the other way with the underdog winning, but the close game has not happened. So the spread has not mattered. If you like the Celtics, take the Celtics. Do not mind laying three and a half of the four, and it doesn't matter. If you like the Warriors, take the money line. I mean, that's just it. As far as the total goes, we are seeing some big movement. Look, game one was 214.5. Game two was 214.5. Game three was 214. Game four was 213.5 to 214. Game five, they moved it down to 212.5. It's sitting here at 209.5 in some spots. Now, you can get a 210.5 out there at DraftKings. You can get a 210.5 at BetMGM. Most places at 210 flat. But 209.5 is out there. There's a couple of places. I know Sports Illustrated Sportsbook is one of them. But you can get a 209.5. So they, they are massively reducing this total. I've made a lot of money here on the total so far. I stepped away from it in game one, and I've hit it in every other game since then. So I am up money taking the unders here. Uh, but I don't love it going all the way down to 210, 209.5. It's a closeout game. It's in Boston. You expect the Boston defense to be much better than what they were. And... and I understand it, and I, I get why we would do that and why you would go under. And to me, the under is the only play, but it's it's been boosted up enough that I'm going to stay away from it. I'm running far away from it, only because they moved the line down. At 214.5, I'm jumping all over this. At 214, I'll jump all over it. You give me even 212, I might. 209.5, and there's a lot of money. There's like, the last time I saw it, it was like 73% of the people are coming in on the under. I just don't like that scenario at all. As far as the Celtics and the Warriors go, uh, who's going to win? Look, the Celtics are at home, backs against the wall, number one defense. You have a lot of reason to like the Celtics in this spot. 
The Celtics have shown in the fourth quarter they really elevate their game. The Celtics have shown that they can hang with this team over and over. But on the same side, can't you also look at this series and say, overall, in the series, let's just be honest, the Warriors have owned the series. Outside of two fourth quarters, the Warriors have really owned this series. The Golden State Warriors have been able to crack this defense until late in the game. The Golden State Warriors have been able to play tremendous defense all year long. They were the number two defense coming into the playoffs, and then in the playoffs they had a lot of hiccups. They wound up finishing sixth in a lot of categories, ninth in some, but about sixth in in a lot of categories. And what have we seen throughout this early portion of the NBA Finals? What have we watched? In the games that the Warriors do really well, they absolutely own the Celtics on defense. The Celtics have not scored 100 points in any of the games they've lost. On the other side of it, the two games that the Warriors lost, the Celtics scored 116 and 120. So if you think the Warriors are going to win the game, you take the under all day long. You take the team total under for the Celtics. They've owned them. When they are figuring out the Boston Celtics, they're winning the game. On the flip side, when the Celtics, I'm sorry, when the Warriors defense falters a little bit, when the Warriors defense doesn't look as pronounced as it has been, well, it's not only that they uh, let up a little, they let up 116 and 120. I mean, th- those are big-time numbers. When you're talking about a team total sitting there for the Boston Celtics at, you know, 105 or so for most of these games. Yeah, I mean, it's clearing it pretty easily. So it's all about the Warriors' defense. While everybody's staring at Curry, and we'll get into that in a moment, and the Splash Brothers, and the excitement that the offense brings, and all of that, it's the defense of the Warriors that really should be the story of this series, and it really wind up, it's winding up that it is that story. So, you know, you look at this series as a whole, I thought it was going to go seven. I thought the way that I watched the Celtics get here led to me believing that this series was going to go seven. I believe that the way that the Warriors got here and the way that the Warriors were playing this series, this game, this season, it was going to go seven. And we're sitting here going into a game six, and this is sort of how I expected the series to go. Now, I'll be the first to admit, I didn't expect the Warriors to lose game one. But this is how I expected the series to go. I believed before the series began that going into game six, the Warriors would have a 3-2 lead. I believed going into game six, we would be in a position where the Celtics would be a very short favorite at home. I believed that we had we would have a game seven. So you have to kind of take yourself away and look at what you believed before the information was presented in front of you. Before information was put in front of me, before anything was out there, I believed almost exactly what I've watched when the totality of everything comes together. I believed what I'm watching. Game six, Thursday night in Boston. Boston's a short favorite. Yeah, I I, I should be picking Boston. That's what I believed. As I've watched the series, though, I've come up with different mindsets and different philosophies and my mind has changed a little bit it's changed a little bit because i've watched the warriors just absolutely own the celtics for most of the series i'm not saying that the celtics can't play with them that's certainly not what i want to bring across here but the warriors have dictated the pace of this series the warriors have really taken a stranglehold on it and the way and the style makes me hesitant now i'm still gonna fall back on my preconceived notions that this is going to go seven games. I'm still going to fall back on if in a game six, and I said this in my preview, if in a game six, I'm able to get the number one defense 
in the NBA, and I'm able to get the number one defense in the NBA at a short number in a great game six, go home. And oh, by the way, that number one defense in the NBA on a short number in a go home game also is at home. You know, I mean, you have to stick with certain formulas. So I do think the Celtics win this game. And like I said, I don't care about the spread. I do think the Celtics win, and I do think that the Celtics move on. Sure, I, I, I because I think that we're going to have a Game 7. But I'm real hesitant about it. If you would have asked me a week and a half ago when this series started, you know, if, if this is the scenario, and blind scenario, you have an opportunity to take the Boston Celtics minus 3.5 in Game 6, I'm going to tell you, I, I would have been going, okay, you know, this is one, one, of, my, one of my solid plays. Not max play, but one of my solid plays. Now, I might I might sprinkle something on it because I don't love it. And I I, I well, I, I might sprinkle something on it. I'm also sitting here with a Golden State Futures ticket. So that helps me be able to kind of uh, hedge or somewhat dip my toe in the hedging waters. So if I don't really love the game and I don't really love the total, how can I make money Thursday? Well, here comes the prop plays. And I've done a really good job with the prop plays. So let's le- read them off, and I want to have a conversation about them. First, we'll start with the Boston Celtics. And we'll talk about the total points. Al Horford over 9.5 plus 100. Marcus Smart over 16.5 minus 105. Jason Tatum 27.5. You're laying 125 there. Robert Williams over 7.5. You're laying 140. Jalen Brown over 23.5. You're laying 130. That's the Boston Celtics. I can tell you right now, look, the Al Horford under is tempting to me. Al Horford under at nine and a half points. I know you're flat on the over, but Al Horford has just been that guy. Take away his six three-pointers, which he's just not doing that again, guys. He's not hitting six three-pointers again. That gave him a 26-point effort. After that, two, 11, eight, nine. Three of the next four, he would have been under this total. I don't like it. I know you have to pay a little bit to go under, but I'm kind of leaning the under there. Jason Tatum is the guy everybody wants to talk about. Jason Tatum has a pretty high price tag here. Jason Tatum's coming off of a game, 27, would have been under. 23 before that, would have been under. 26 before that, would have been under. 28 would have been over by a half a point, and then 12. By the way, if you could get a 28 out there, jump on it. Because I see Jason Tatum at over 27 and a half, minus 125, and he went... 28 only in one game. I mean, you know, over the last five games. You're looking at this and you got to say, yeah, I don't feel comfortable with that. So I kind of like both of those unders. But the under I've been riding here has been Jalen Brown. I've been riding this under the entire series. His number was 24 for most of the time. Now it's gone up to 24 and a half. Now it's down to 23 and a half here. He scored 24 in game two. That was either a push or a loss. 17. In Game 3, that was a loss. 27, that was a win in Game 4. Then I bet him under in Game 5. 21, easy win. 18 in Game 6, easy win. For me, guys, Jalen Brown unders have been money. Because he's such a good player, people just automatically assume he's going to score the points, and he's just not been doing it. Let's talk about rebounds. Al Horford over 7.5. Robert Williams over 8.5, plus 100 back there. Plus 110, I'm sorry, back there. Jalen Brown... Six and a half minus 125. Marcus Smart, four and a half minus 120. Over seven and a half for Jason Tatum, minus 145. I have been absolutely just fantastically in love with rebounds this series. I really have. Um, but they've been really, really inconsistent. 
I've made some money. I've made some money on Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown sitting here at six and a half. We'll talk about Brown since we're continuing to talk about it. He had nine last game, six before that, nine before that, six before that. He's gone back and forth and seven before that. I think it's a perfect number by the books to put that in there. I think it's an absolutely genius number. So I'm not going to touch it because I think it's such a good a good number. How about Al Horford? Nine, six, eight, eight, six. I have no faith that he's going to get seven and a half, and I'm laying minus 125. He's going to get eight or more. I mean, he's barely getting there. I don't like that. I it, It's a good number again. Jason Tatum, I have pounded his over free rebounds, and early on I was getting hurt. Game two, five. Game three, six. Game four, six. And I lost all those. In the last two games, he has 21 rebounds, 10 and 11. He has been fantastic. Now, a lot of guys are missing. Right, a lot, a lot of guys are missing shots, and you need that to happen. <laughs> and the Warriors' defense has made guys miss shots. You need that to happen if you're going to take Jason Tatum for the over rebounds. I don't love it, not because it's seven and a half. I don't love it because I got to lay one forty-five. That's why I don't like that. How about assists, though? Jalen Brown three and a half minus one twenty. Marcus Smart five and a half. You're getting plus one twenty back there. Robert Williams over one and a half plus one ten. Al Horford, over two and a half. You're laying 160. Huge number. That's probably going to move to three. And Jason Tatum, over six and a half, but you're getting 120 back. What kind of player do you think Jason Tatum is going to be? Because on assists, let's see. Four last game, six before that, nine before that, three before that, 13 before that. The Warriors have made him at times be the facilitator. At times, they have forced his hand to be the facilitator and be the guy that has to pass the ball off and create they forced him to do that, and he's taken that role really well. Uh, Jason Tatum has said, you know what, I'm not going to be greedy. I'm going to hand it off and kind of let this roll with people. He's done that, and he's done it with, with great ease. I don't know if I love it in a closeout game, though. I think that this might be a game where Jason Tatum kind of tries to take over by himself. He kind of tries to say, you know, I'm going to fill up the stat sheet, sure, but I'm going to make sure that I'm the guy with the ball. I'm the guy shooting the ball. I'm the guy that's going to take the shot. That's what gets me here. How about Marcus Smart? We all thought coming into this, okay, Smart to get five and a half or six assists should be really good. Well, he's got two, five, 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 four. He's never hit this. I sort of like the under there. So as you can see, my Celtics feel of prop plays is a lot of unders. And it's not because I don't like the Celtics. It's because, look, in a game six, most of the public, when you're betting props, they want to bet overs. It's fun to bet overs. That's what they want to do. They want to bet overs. So you're going to get elevator overs. You're going to get elevated overs with a good defensive team on both sides. I just don't like it, guys. From the Celtics' perspective, I kind of like the under for Marcus Smart assists. I kind of like the under for Jason Tatum assists. I kind of like the under for rebounds for uh, uh, for Jason Tatum here. I probably won't touch it, though. I definitely like the under for Jalen Brown points. I definitely like the under for Al Horford points. How about the Golden State Warriors? Total points, Draymond Green, 7.5, minus 110. Andrew Wiggins, 18.5, plus 115. Klay Thompson, over 20.5, minus 105. Steph Curry, 28.5 to go over. you got to lay 125. Here's some interesting conversation here. Draymond Green has been completely uh, just, just absent. How can anyone take over seven and a half with Draymond? How can anybody go out there and seriously sit back and take over seven and a half with Draymond Green? You know, he's got eight, two, two, nine, four. You can't take. Oh, come on. 
You tell me, oh, it went over last time. It's seven and a half. And he barely went over. You can't go near Draymond Green. You just can't. Klay Thompson, 20 and a half. You know, Klay Thompson looked real bad early on. He's gotten better, but still, 21, 18, 25. He's right there. He's playing too close to the vest for me. Very, very close to that number. I don't love it. I wouldn't go near that. Andrew Wiggins is an under I'll be all over. Now, I like Wiggins. I made money on Wiggins early on. But I bet on Wiggins early in Game 1 and Game 2 to go over his point total, uh, even in, into Game 3. But I did. I bet him on Game 1 and Game 2 to go over his point total, where it was 14 and 14 and a half. Then in Game 3, they boosted it up to 15 and a half. He went under. Then it went back down to about 15. Now, all of a sudden, it's 18 and a half. Why? Because he came off a great effort. I don't like the 18 and a half. 26, 17, 18, 11, and 20 is his last couple of games here. I don't like it. I'll give me the under. I think Andrew Wiggins can have a good game, which is 15 or 16 for Wiggins. He's not going to have another 26. That brings us to the man, Steph Curry. When his teammates outscore him, meaning he's not the leading scorer on the team, they are 5-1 and one in the playoffs. Now, Steph Curry came into the regular season, into the playoffs with a regular season average of 26 points per game. He came into the playoffs with a regular season average of 26 points per game. His first game Game one, they set the total at 27. He went over. Game two, they set it at 27 and a half. He went over. Game three, they set it at 28 and a half. He went over. Game four, they kept it at 28 and a half. He went over. Game five, they boosted up to 29 and a half. He went over. And game six, they put it up to 31 and a half. And he finally went under. So where do they put it now? Well, you look at him taking the tumble all the way back down to 28 and a half. And I think a lot of people are going to jump on this. Look, the 43, 31, 34, I mean, these efforts are out there. I can't touch Curry one way or the other. I know that there's value there according to what he was last game, but he's still overrated and overpriced for what he was earlier on in the season or in the series. Total rebounds, Thompson over 3.5, Draymond Green 7.5, Steph Curry 5.5, Andrew Wiggins 7.5, but you're laying 145 there. I like the Wiggins play, but I'm not laying 145 with that. I, I keep wanting Draymond to go over that seven and a half, and you're laying 125 there. I keep wanting Draymond to be that guy. Rebounds, eight, nine, four, five, eleven. He, he just hasn't had that that huge game. Seven and a half, and you're laying it. It might get up to eight, which means you need nine. Ah, I'm laying off of that one. He's the only guy that I would really think of there. How about how about Golden State um, assists? Wiggins one and a half. You're laying 150. I like that. Wiggins at two, 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 and two. Okay, I kind of like that. Steph Curry, five and a half. And I think because of Wiggins' big game, by the way, they're going to converge on him, so he's going to have a chance to kick it out a little bit easier here. Uh, Steph Curry, five and a half. Don't love it. Draymond Green, six and a half. No way. Klay Thompson, over two and a half. But you get him plus 155 back. That's a little tempting, but not enough for me to kind of go over. So, overall, guys, I mean, I hate to be the buzzkill. I hate to be the wet blanket. But you could win money with my philosophy here. And that is, I kind of like... The under in the game. I kind of like the under for both teams. And I kind of like the under on quite a few prop plays. Now, someone's going to step up. Someone's going to be the man. Someone's going to have a great game offensively. We know that. It was Andrew Wiggins last time. Steph Curry with 43 the game before that. We know that. Jason Tatum before that. I mean, someone's going to step up. But overall, what this series has shown you, it's a defensive series. Overall, what this series has said to everybody out there is defense is winning this, and defense wins championships while they're going for the championship. I mean, that is what we're looking at here. So 
When you're looking at prop plays, so often the immediate reaction is people are looking for prop plays because their favorite player or their guy that they root for or their guy that they want, oh, I think he's going to have a huge game. And you automatically go to prop plays because of that. But they're elevated for a reason. They're elevated because of that mentality. Because they know people are going to go on Steph Curry to, to get a bunch of points. Why would he not? Because he's Steph Curry. They know that people are going to jump on Andrew Wiggins now after a huge game and what we all saw. They know that. Their books know that. So they boost things up. They jolt it up. And all of a sudden, it's priced out of the market. And that's when you go under and you can make some dough. And I'm talking about everything. I'm talking about points, rebounds, assists, all of it. The points are probably the easiest thing to talk about. But look at the rebounds. Look at the assists. Look at what is the expected situation against what's the actual situation. And you can find areas where you can make some money. That all is in the future, though. Now let's go bet to the future. We're sending you back to the future. Okay, all right. Bet Bet to to the future. Okay, guys, bet to the future. Well, bet to the future brings us to the red-hot New York Yankees, but it brings us to the AL MVP odds, and the reddest and hottest New York Yankee right now is Aaron Judge. He has taken control of the AL MVP odds. He is plus 150. Shohei Otani is 3-1. to one. He's been leading for most of the year. He's 3-1 to one now. Mike Trout has fallen all the way back to plus 650. Jose Ramirez is 8-1. to one. Rafael Devers comes in at 14-1. to one. Vlad Guerrero, 20-1. to one. Jordan Alvarez, 22-1. to one. Byron Buxton is really putting on a show this week. He's 30-1 to one in closing. Luis Roberts, 40-1. to one. Giancarlo Stanton, 50-1. to one. Kyle Tucker is 60-1. to one. Ty French, George Springer, Trevor Story, Wander Franco, Zan Bogarts are all 80 to 100 to 1. Alex Bregman, Anthony Rizzo, Taylor Ward, Bo Bichette, and Corey Seager. And that is Bet to the Future. Hey guys, look, you know, Aaron Judge went absolutely nuts. Over the last week, he's batting 321. He's got a slash line of 321, 424, 679, three home runs, six RBIs. I mean, he's he just unbelievable. He leads major leagues in OPS at 1.054. He leads in home runs. Um, the Yankees have the best record in baseball. Everything is lining up for him. What, what is interesting about the MVP award is it is a voted on award. And we talk about this uh, quite a bit. Where when you're betting on something, you're betting on tangibles. You're betting on numbers. You're betting on uh, statistics. You're betting on things that you could see, you could qualify. Who's going to win, right? Well, how many runs are going to be scored? How many points are going to be scored? Uh, can they cover a spread? But when you're betting on MVP, Heisman, things like that, it's voted on awards. So you have to take into consideration outside factors. It's funny that in my Las Vegas show uh, with uh, my partner, Tim, he took Aaron Judge before the year to win the MVP. And I've done that a couple of times over the years. And I said to him, I said, the problem is he's got to get over the Yankee bias. And there is a New York Yankee bias. And he's got to get over that. And the words that I said to him were, Tim, we remember. We remember Don Mattingly getting screwed out of the MVP in the mid-80s by Roger Clemens. More recently, we remember that Derek Jeter should have won the MVP and he lost it to Justin Morneau. Why? Because he's a Yankee and there's an anti-Yankee bias. And I should call it anti-Yankee bias. Uh, Miguel Andujar lost the Rookie of the Year to Shohei Otani. Yeah, Miguel Andujar deserved it that year. Aaron Judge lost the MVP to Jose... Jose Altuve, who we all know right now, absolutely 
didn't deserve that, and even by the numbers didn't deserve it. So already, Aaron Judge already lost that. And it had me with that anti-Yankee bias just a little bit nervous about going out there and taking a Yankee to win that award. Well, what I had said to him then, I'm going to repeat now. In order for a New York Yankee to win the MVP or to win a, a single award, I mean, you could go back to last year, Garrett Cole should have won the Cy Young. For, in order for a Yankee to do it, He's got to leave absolutely no doubt to the voters. It's got to be so unbelievable and so extraordinary that he is so much better than the field that he's got to just make that kind of run. Well, Aaron Judge is doing just that. Not only is Judge have all of the giant, unbelievable hitting statistics that you see, and the Yankees are the best team in baseball that we're watching, but Aaron Judge has moved at 30 years old after multiple injuries in the middle of his career and in the middle of the greatest season that he's ever had. He's moved positions to a more difficult position, one of the most difficult positions in the sport. He's now their starting center fielder. And as a matter of fact, he's been leading off a lot of games. So... You have a guy that's leading off playing center field that that is as nimble and as big as he is with the power numbers. I mean, it's a no-doubter right now. Plus 150 back seems like a steal. Otani is sitting here barely batting 250, right? I mean, he's closing in on a four ERA. Yeah, don't give me, well, he pitches and he hits. Well, you know what? He doesn't play the field. Now Aaron Judge is playing a, a all-star caliber center field. Guys that can kind of make some sort of run right now, forget about Otani. I'm sorry, if you want to just vote on him strictly because, yes, he does pitch, which he certainly does, then just give him the award every single year, no matter what his other numbers are. I, I mean, just give him the award. That's what's ridiculous about the idea that he would be that. There's no way you're getting me to take Otani at 3-1. to one. There's no way. Now, Jose Ramirez is close. Jose Ramirez has more RBIs than anybody else in the league. Jose Ramirez actually has 59 RBIs. 16 home runs. The guy's batting 292. Okay? Uh, Jose Ramirez has 17 strikeouts and 16 home runs. Jose Ramirez is certainly in this conversation. I Absolutely, Jose Ramirez is in this conversation. The only other guy that I really... Look, look I think that Trout needs to be in this conversation. Before the year, I told you that Trout was going to show everybody that he's the best player on the planet, but he's missed some time this year. He's batting 293, 16 home runs, 34 RBIs. The problem is that I think that Trout will lose some votes to Otani, most likely. And the Angels just went into that swoon, that ridiculous... Trout right now is decidedly behind. At plus 650, I don't love him. I really don't. I don't love Trout at where he's sitting right now. The only other guy that I kind of see is Jose Ramirez, who will is making quite the push here. Now, Xander Bogarts, he's got a 321 average, and a lot of people want to put him in there. But guys, he's got six home runs. You know, I mean, he's got he's he's close. I mean, I'm not going to say he's not in the competition, but he's got six home runs. You look at Raphael Devers is the more deserving guy there, and you can see the odds. He's a 335 average, 14 home runs. But I think that Devers and Bogarts, they're all massively behind. The one name that I did mention, if you wanted to take a long shot guess right now, to me it's between Ramirez and Judge, and Judge is running away with it. Uh, but if there's one guy that could get himself back into this thing, it's Byron Buxton, who just went absolutely nuts this week. Now he's up to 18 home runs, 32 RBIs, 37 runs scored, and he's only batting 236. If he could get that back into the respectable 280 range and play the center field that he does and stay healthy, he could get back into this. But I don't like anybody. To me, right now, it's Aaron Judge's to lose. And you're getting plus 150 back on Aaron Judge 
right now, that is value. Aaron Judge could have a bad month and still lead most people in many categories. Aaron Judge's numbers right now, where we're standing, are going to be historic. Forget about McGuire and Sosa and all and Bonds and the cheating, okay? The real record of home runs in a season is still Roger Maris. Right now, where I stand today, Aaron Judge is on pace for 68 home runs, 136 RBIs, 147 runs, batting 318, stealing eight bases, and playing center field. 684 slugging percentage. That's what he's on pace for. Let's say he takes a large step back, okay? He's already got 24 home runs. Let's say he only hits, only hits 55 home runs, <laughs> right? He only hits 55 home runs. He only, uh, 50 home runs, I mean. 50 home runs even. He only hits 50. He only gets 115 RBIs. Only gets 120 runs. And he only bats 300. That's a bad second half for Aaron Judge. That's a terrible second half for Aaron Judge, according to what he's done so far. And guess what? Still the MVP. I, I mean, it just is. It's, it's still the MVP. Plus 150 for Aaron Judge. All you're betting against, if you're going out there and you're betting one, plus 150 with Aaron Judge, all you're doing is betting against an injury. I mean, that's really what it is. Aaron Judge is not going to slow down uh, his, his unbelievable crawl and have terrible numbers. He's got 24 home runs already. Even if he just does terrible... Look, he's going to run into 40 by mistake. Okay, he's going to hit 40 home runs by accident, guys. So, you're talking about 45 home runs... If he's average, he's going 50 or more. So he's going 50 or more right there. Maybe he does get into a slump where he only hits 280. But we're still talking about 280. He'd have to lose 40 points on his batting average to get down there. 40 points. You know, he's more of about a 300 hitter who's going to hit over 50 home runs. The RBIs are not going to dry up with this Yankees team. The runs scored are not going to dry up with this Yankees team. Maybe he stops running. Maybe he doesn't steal 8 to 10 bases. Maybe he steals only 2 or 3 more. Okay, is that a big part of his game? No, but he still is going to be tasked with playing center field for first place team. This is all part of the equation of Aaron Judge. And you've got to look at this and say, right now, plus 150 makes a lot of sense. It really, really, there's some value there, even at plus 150. Um, there's two guys behind him, both on the same team. To me, it's between him and Jose Ramirez, and Jose Ramirez's team is going to going to go into a little bit of a swoon here. Talking about the Yankees, and let's uh, kind of get it out of the way. Look, they are the best team in baseball right now. They're doing a lot of this by insane, ridiculous pitching. Nestor Cortez should be the AL representative for the starting pitching for the All-Star game. Garrett Cole is the worst ERA on their team, and Garrett Cole is still a very good pitcher. Jordan Montgomery looks good. Severino looks healthy and good. They have a lot of good relievers, and you look at, look, they lose Chapman, and they don't lose a beat, right? A lot of this is done by the pitching, but a lot of it is done by the hitting. What I do continue to hear is that the Yankees really haven't played anybody, right? Well, the Yankees are cleaning up on bad teams. Oh, that's because there's a lot of bad teams in baseball. Let's just be honest. But all of that is going to change this next week. And from a betting perspective, if you are an anti-Yankee guy or you don't believe in this Yankees team or you don't believe in the Yankee pitching, whatever it may be, this next two weeks for the New York Yankees, it's a 13-game stretch, the next two weeks for the New York Yankees is going to tell you just what kind of team they are. But from a betting perspective, you can make a lot of money if you don't like the Yankees. You're going to be able to take 
really good teams over this 13-game stretch at plus money. The Yankees will more than likely be favored in all 13 games. We'll say, you know, just on a fluke situation, maybe 11 of the 13 games, okay? They're going to be favored in 11 of 13, maybe, maybe all 13 games. It's very possible that the Yankees are going to be favored. There's a really good chance that the Yankees are going to be overvalued and overfavored in a majority of those games. But they begin 13-game stretch here. Six games against the Tampa Rays, three games against the Blue Jays, four against the Astros. That's what they're going down. Now, you talk to Yankee fans, and Yankee fans are going, hey, look, if we go like eight and five, we're perfectly fine. Well, from a betting perspective, those five games could pay off the eight wins, and all of a sudden, you're making money. If you blindly bet against the New York Yankees over the next 13 games, there's a good chance you're going to be up money. But how can you bet against this team? How can you bet against a guy like Nasty Nestor Cortez? How can you do that right now? It's a difficult situation when you look at just how unbelievable the New York Yankees have been. Just how consistent the New York Yankees have been. Matt Carpenter comes up, he's got six home runs. So this is in a sports betting mindset where you look at an opportunity and you're going, how much do I believe in my confidence in that opportunity? Because the opportunity here is to blindly bet against the New York Yankees in the next 16 games. Or the next 13 games, I'm sorry. Blindly bet against the New York Yankees in the next 13 games, and you think to yourself, okay, I don't even need to hit that many to all of a sudden turn around and make some money. Over the next 13 games, if I hit about five games, I'll make some money because they'll be underdogs. But can you go out there day in and day out and have that kind of discipline to bet against a team like the Yankees, a New York Yankees team that has now gone over five runs in more half than more than half their games. I talked about it on my show this weekend. If you bet the New York Yankees over four and a half runs every single game, you'd be up money because plus five, plus five and a half, you're going to be getting plus money on that. So the New York Yankees are an interesting team to watch over the next two weeks, but I do think we should all jump on Aaron Judge right now, I still think plus 150 is a little bit of money back. I still think that plus 150 is a situation we could still get a little value. I think Aaron Judge is walking away with this MVP because he's going to make them vote for him. Not because of anything else other than he's going to force their hand because he's going to be that good. All right, guys. I'm Tom Barton for Wagering Week. We'll be back, and you can bet on that. This has been a presentation of the Sports Garden Network. To be part of the show, call 1-855-4-GARTEN. That's 1-855-442-7386. Connect with us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Garden. That's G-A-R-T-E-N. Get all your credible sports intelligence 24 hours a day by visiting us at sportsgarden.com. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So... No, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.